the big winners in this are the small and mid-sized enterprises that in essence don't have a tremendous amount of capital, but you know, we'll take that same 2 billion euros of money that we spend on research and development and they can use the same technology. They just get a scaled down version. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. So many technological innovations in our world are largely reserved in their earliest days for those with the capital and the infrastructure to pave the way. These innovators invest in R&D, they build hardware or software, they test it, they deploy it, and they refine it. And eventually, as those technologies are adopted by more companies, costs come down and they become more accessible to the masses. Here in the manufacturing sector, when you layer the scalability of digital products on top of all this, you wind up with what my guest today refers to as the great equalizer, where the playing field is leveled from enterprise organizations all the way down to small and mid-sized manufacturers. I did my best to set up this conversation, but let me introduce our guest who will tell this story a lot better than I can. Raj Batra is president of Digital Industries for Siemens USA, where he oversees all development, engagement, marketing, sales, R&D, vertical industry, and manufacturing activity for the automation business. Raj is an accomplished sales leader, business developer, and general manager, holding a range of, of senior positions since joining Siemens in 1993. He is currently a member of the board of directors for the Siemens Foundation, dedicated to advancing workforce development and STEM education initiatives, and executive sponsor of Siemens USA Asian Cultural Exchange. Prior to his tenure at Siemens, Raj managed technical sales and automation solutions for discrete manufacturing and process industries. Raj is an active leader in the U.S. manufacturing community. He is currently vice chairman of the executive committee and the board of trustees for Manufacturers Alliance, and previously served as chairman of the board of governors of the National Electric Electrical Manufacturers Association, NEMA. He is a sought-after board member and is currently serving as an independent director for two public companies. Raj earned a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from Lawrence Technical, Technological University in Michigan and a Master's of Business Administration degree from the University of Michigan. Raj, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Good to be here. Beautiful. Well, Siemens is obviously a household name, and Raj, you head up the Digital Industries Division. Can you tell us what Digital Industries is all about and what you're doing there? Yeah, sure. Well, well, you know, let me let me just preface this, Joe, and say that it, it wasn't always a household name. Mm. You know, when you think about the United States, because when I started my career here in '93, a big part of what we were doing was trying to Americanize the brand. So, of course, we were always known as a great German company, great technology leader, and you know, manufacturing companies would get technology and equipment in their U.S. facilities, and it was fun, you know, incredible technology, incredible equipment. 
but we we didn't have a, a very strong position in mass. So, so a big part of what we've done is really substantially grown our presence, our brand, and our franchise value here in the United States, especially, and entered into every vertical industry here. And we're providing cutting edge technology to every scale of manufacturing companies. So just to your question about digital industries, the name literally speaks to what it does, right? It's the digitalization of, of, of manufacturing. And it's to really bring companies of all scale and sizes into the world of, of, of digitalization. And that may not have been a household, digitalization may not have been a household name 10 or 15 years ago. So of course, things started with simulation and product design and product data management and more advanced automation, you know, where you're doing more on the industrial automation front. So it's this integration now of design to manufacturing and capability. So integrating what we would say is the IT and OT environments. And this is where you, you unleash a lot of capability for manufacturers and time to market and reduced engineering time and flexibility in making things much more efficiently. So this is the world of digitalization and, and, and this is what we want to do. But, but, but if you think of digital industries, it really, you know, comprises a number of different businesses that can run independently, but the integrated whole is also extremely powerful when it's put together to bring this ITOT environment together. So, you know, you have companies that just do factory automation. You have companies that do process automation. We have a business in precision motion control. We have a digital services business and also a software business. And they all are incredibly successful in what they do independently, but integrating the full capability end-to-end really unleashes the, 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 the full digitalization industry 4.0 capability of what companies so desperately want to do today. Great overview. Digitalization can mean a lot of things, I think, to a lot of people. Can you speak to some of the most powerful movements happening in that category right now that have you excited about sort of the future of manufacturing? Yeah, you know, I I mean, the way I would think about it is probably the greatest singular advantage when you think about digitalization is the ability to do things virtually before you do things physically, right? And, And so just, you know, think of our history of manufacturing in this country, you know, we had to go, you know, you know, we were on the floor running off equipment, uh, really doing very complex automation work on the floor, a lot, a lot of trial and error, you know, in those processes. And, and I think today, what you're able to do is really, you know, before even a person steps foot on the floor, you can have a digital twin, you can simulate, you can virtualize, you can see what's going to happen before you physically have to do things. And that's a big, big game changer for companies that use it. And when you think about digital twins, those digital twins have become very real. They've become very high fidelity. They've become very close to what, what is reality. They incorporate not just the physics of an object, but also the photorealism of an object and also artificial intelligence. So it moves in a simulation just like it move on the floor. It acts and behaves you know, in its physics simulation just like it would behave on the floor. So you're able to do a lot of this offline and not, you know, and, and perfect things and really get it right before you, before you start to physically put things together. And I think that virtualization and simulation is just one of the great advantages of what digitalization brings companies today. Raj, I've heard you call digitalization the great equalizer. How does the scalability factor that comes along with digitalization change the outlook for some smaller mid-sized manufacturers? 
Well, you know, look, I mean, I, I think there was probably an era where, where you, you know, you couldn't use tools and capabilities unless you had enough money and capital to deploy those things, right? And, and, and so when I say the great equalizer, to me, it really speaks the scalability of every company being able to use it. So I, I always say the real, the, the, the big winners in this are the small and mid-sized enterprises that in essence don't have a tremendous amount of capital, but you know, we'll take that same 2 billion euros of money that we spend on research and development and they can use the same technology. They just get a scaled down version or maybe they use a, an automation system that isn't as, you know, doesn't need to do all the same things that a bigger automation system does. But in essence, all the software is the same, all the innovation is the same. And, and so this is, and, and of course, when you're in the SaaS models, and you're you're you know you're using what you need and paying for what you need, they they they're getting access to the same technology. I mean, I've seen car washes, quite frankly, that have been far more sophisticated using Industry 4.0, where where the car wash has been simulated. They've used artificial intelligence. They've used machine learning. They they use the digital twin and they perfected how this car wash runs before they built it, and and now they can clone them and build you know thousands of them, and the and 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 some of those are far more sophisticated than sometimes getting into the large enterprises where, you know, you've got very, very strong bureaucracies between the IT organization and the manufacturing organizations, and there's legacy there, and you've got to sort of break down that divide culturally in companies, which isn't always easy. So sometimes the smaller companies, more agile, they can operate more quickly. And now today, technology is available to them, you know, and that, that same technology that we would sell to, to, to any big Fortune 5 company, the small guy can use too. And, and, and get the same benefits out of it. And I, I think that to me is, is the great equalizer for small and mid-sized enterprises that want to capitalize on this. Raj, I know kind of shifting gears here, one of your passions is additive manufacturing. Can you speak about what you see going on in that space right now and how you think it may change the game in the years ahead? Yeah, so look, I mean, I think additive is a great representation of industry 4.0 and digital manufacturing. I mean, so people may not have thought about it that way. And they said, well, you know, we can't make mass production parts with additive. We can only do prototype work. We can, you know, build complex structures that, you know, that you couldn't, you know, classically assemble in, in manufacturing. And I think today, if you think about additive manufacturing, what is it? It starts with a digital model of an object and you're able to print this object anywhere where you have a printer and, 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 you know, depending on, so now, the IP is not the printer. The printer can go anywhere. So the printer can go in Zimbabwe. It could go in the United States. It could go anywhere where you could house that printer. You can power it up and you have, you know, the materials and the binders for it. But, uh, but you know, the IP almost becomes the design and the innovation and the CAD model that it's, that it's printing. So once you perfect that, any printer that has the capability and can produce it with the kind of material that you want to produce it with is capable of producing it. And, 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 and building it. So I think number one, it is, you know, allowed people to print parts anywhere. So let's just start with that. You don't need to have a big manufacturing facility to do it. Some people have born a lot of businesses out of it. You know, some of the smaller mid-sized companies, the larger companies are doing probably a little more prototyping with it and building advanced geometries that, that, that they're not able to build you know, classically manufacturing, or it's very expensive, or it's very time consuming, or they couldn't get the efficiency out of things, right? So the other great thing with simulation in additive is you can look at, you know, the thermodynamics of a part, you can look at wind flow of a part, you can look at, 
you know, all these physics characteristics, how material is going to flow through a part. And then you can design the part for, for, for the optimal design. And, and, and you have to trust me when I tell you this, Joe, that sometimes I've seen a part that has been just very classically produced. It's probably been, you know, designed in a CAD model and, and someone said, hey, this is the way the part's got to look. And then you put it through simulation to say, what is the most efficient way to make this part so the cooling is really good and the, the airflow is good at that part if it's, a, if it's a part that cools things. And what you end up with is nothing you could even imagine on the whiteboard. I mean, a human wouldn't want to put this together because it looks all contorted, it looks funny. Mm -hmm. It's not any bigger, it's lighter. And, but it's much more efficient, you know, it's, it's airflow is 30% better. It's so, but the simulation has done that. Artificial intelligence has done that. The physical characteristics have done that. So you're making things potentially much more efficient. You're making it one, you know, in a, in a one piece structure, you have lattice capabilities that can produce things that, that you know, you could never produce conventionally manufactured. It'd, it'd be very, very complex. So, so I think there are a lot of gains with what's being done on additive you know, the material selection is getting wider. The geometries are, are, that people are able to produce are getting far more, uh, you know, far, far better, less post-processing capability. So that means when a part's done and it's additively designed, you don't need, you know, all, all this, you know, additional machinery and technology to, to you know, to trim it and to, to, to grind it and to deburr it and all the rest. You know, you're able to just take the part as is and, it, and it's ready for prime time. And that's, that's what more innovation in that, in that additive capability is driving. So, so I think it's going to be a tremendous game changer as it scales up, as it becomes more mainstream, as people become more comfortable with those printers. I mean, I'm sure when we, you know, before we used all the printers in our house, there was probably some hesitation to use them. And then, you know, at some point it just took off like wildfire and the printer costs came down, you know, that, the ink never dropped in price, by the way. So, I, so I guess they gotta they gotta find some way to make some money, and probably not not dissimilar to what additive is, because the binder technology, the binder, and, and the material is 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 where a lot of additive companies make their money, not on the printer itself. So, you know, and and, and that's a renewable model. That's a sort of an ARR kind of a model. So, I I think that it's becoming, you know, a game changer in producing complex parts. And moving far beyond prototyping, moving to the to the point where the scale is picking up, the volume is increasing, the material composition is getting wider of how of, of what materials companies use, and and it's being conventionally integrated in classic manufacturing technologies. So you see this hybrid zone, not just additive in a corner now with two or three additive machines in a manufacturing facility, but you see it actually integrated into the framework of the broad manufacturing process. And, and, and so think about this, this one more point, that if you're doing a digital twin of your manufacturing line and of your product and of your plant, that digital twin is also tied to additive as well. So it works in the same backbone. So you can move things around very, very conveniently when you're digitizing and additive just becomes another part of that process. Yeah, a lot of great stuff in there. I'm also very fascinated by you know, the possibilities with additive. One really interesting sort of analogy I heard a while back was that it's almost, we've almost created a new form of transportation for shipping parts where, you know, you once had shipping by sea and then by land and then by air. And now all of a sudden you have, you know, digital files that can literally be transported in less than a second, right? To, to where they need to go and, and actually be 
produced, which is such, it's just such an interesting mindset shift. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I would say this, look, I mean, to the point you're bringing up about more stateside manufacturing, Mm -hmm. more vertical integration of supply chains. I mean, listen, you know, COVID taught us some hard lessons. It started with PPE and not being able to get that. And then it, then it, you know, moved on to chips and then it moved on to, to broader materials and polymers and everything else that are used. And, and so it just, you know, it just really never went away. And it's still a big plague in our system today. You know, and companies are racing very quickly to reduce this foreign dependence on critical parts and technologies that, you know, they need to produce cars or vehicles or, or electronics or chips or automation systems, you know, whatever the case is. And so that all requires local technology, local capability and additive. Just think about what additive brings to that. So, you know, if you have a good geometric model, you have a good CAD file and and you have the right, you you know, IP around your product and your design, you can produce that design anywhere, anywhere in the world. And and companies are going to capitalize on that. So it's just another big tailwind for what, what will happen to the additive business. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes, so I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keough. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50 plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic, and one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value. No cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. On that topic of stateside manufacturing, reshoring, and we, we hear a lot about this these days, but then side by side with that, we have this you know, labor issue going on that seems to be touching just about everybody. How do you see those things fitting together if we're trying to bring jobs back, but we're also facing a labor shortage, you know, and and in your world, how does digitalization movements and automation fit into the picture? Yeah, so so look, I mean, we, we absolutely need to move forward with modernizing U.S. manufacturing, embracing digitalization. It's a journey. Not everybody starts at the same point. And people ask me, what's the biggest mistake you make? And I say, well, the biggest mistake you make in this is not starting. Whether that's you know advancing more automation, that's that's connecting devices on the floor, that's having good digital models of your assets on the manufacturing floor. So if you want to adjust things, if you want to you know change layouts, change the product configuration, you can do that, and and not not have it be so complex that that you can't get the gains out of it, right? So 
and just think about that for all, for all that we talked about, you know, every dollar spent in manufacturing adds about $3 to the U S economy. So, so there's no entity that has that kind of multiplication effect, that kind of multiplier effect in our economic sector outside of manufacturing. So it just shows you how vital it is to job creation, how vital it is to, you know, the impact it adds into gross domestic product. And then, you know, if you look at reshoring, you know, we talked about more things stateside, more manufacturing local, being in proximity to your markets because you have mass customization going on in the markets. You know, I mean, I mean, our market doesn't buy the same way that potentially China buys. So the Chinese consumer is not an American consumer. So, you know, when you're dealing with that customization and dealing with the personalization, you know, you got to be close and, and, and manufacturing needs to be in close proximity to the markets you're going to serve. And I think this is going to be the new, it's the safest way to go, right? Because, you know, because you size, sidestep tariffs, you sidestep, you know, the geopolitical complexities out there, which by the way, are not getting better. They're getting worse. I, you know, we've never had a, a, a more caustic geopolitical environment that we have now, you know, the, I mean, the, the, the tariffs are alive and well, the tension with China is tremendous at the moment. Here, we got a war in the year 2022, you know, if you could, in Europe of all places, which is driving different supply chain considerations. So, so that reshoring has to happen. It's very vital. And it's vital for the United States beyond just the economic impact. But, but listen, I mean, you, you know, no matter which way you go, out of your house, which direction you go out of your house. If you walk, you know, one or two miles in any direction, you're going to find some manufacturing plant. Most of these are small, mid-sized enterprises. It, that's what comprises U.S. manufacturing here. And, you know, look, there's an aging asset base at those manufacturing facilities. It's, it's technology that's 25, 30, sometimes even older. Some people are using DOS. And, and, you know, that has to be upped. It has to be modernized. If you want to get into the digital game, you want to be competitive making a product, producing a high quality product here in the country, and then and having less reliance on companies that have spent a lot of time, you know, exporting to the United States, right? For high value, high technology goods. I'm not saying that everything has to be done here, but certainly with our workforce and our technology capability and our natural resources and our, you know, prowess, you know, we're, we're, we're a country that should be producing high value, high technology goods here that that aren't easily produced anywhere else. And that's not just a labor topic. You know, it's a technology topic, it's a digitalization topic. It's a little more advanced automation that becomes really, really important. And I would just say relative to talent, look, I mean, in the next decade, Joe, we're gonna have a very wide range of people exiting the workforce. And I, I gotta tell you, my job, I see it today. I mean, I, I saw a guy that was, you know, 55, 56, and, you know, I mean, that, that's not a person you would expect to retire. And, and he just, you know, said he had enough and, and that, you know, he had reconsidered his life during, and it was, it was a great performer, by the way. He was an excellent employee, you know, just reconsidered his priorities and figured out he had enough money. The kids were grown up and he, he wanted to do things that, that were more important to him. And look, I, I get it. I understand it. But you'll have these dynamics that, that are also accelerating the exit of, people that, that are eligible for retirement. And so the next, you know, five to seven to 10 years is going to be very, very critical as tribal knowledge leaves the workforce, because mm -hmm. that's what it was. It was really deep tribal knowledge. And now you're going to bring a different worker in, a different kind of worker, one that's more tech savvy, one that didn't know a world without an iPhone, didn't know a world without, without the internet. So as much as we lose in tribal knowledge, maybe the, the, the way to think about it, the gain and the pickup is, you're going to get more capability to do these advanced digitalization capabilities to 
use more simulation to do things that, that are that, that are very common to them in their consumer lives. Mm-hmm. And so companies are going to have to build these environments and incubate these environments to attract the right talent, mm-hmm. you know, because pensions don't hold people down anymore. And, and you know, it wasn't what it was 30 years ago where you had a pension and that kept you galvanized the company. Now, now you, you know, you better be a work, you better be an employer of choice. You better, you know, have the right learning environment, the right digital culture, and you better have diversity in the mix somewhere because you're going to be going after a diverse workforce. So all those things have to come into play to hold on to your talent and to get new talent. And I, I think those are going to be really, really critical topics. And, you know, people want to work for high tech companies and, and that have a lot of curve appeal. So if you think about Apple and Google and, you know, and Amazon and people like those companies because they got that kind of curve appeal. Yeah. So, you know, for the small company, you can still do it. For the mid-sized company, you can still do it. Even for the big companies that aren't there yet, you can still do it, but, but, but you got to start and it takes effort to make that happen. And, and, and I think that workforce is going to change, but it may not, you know, so what we lose again in tribal knowledge, we pick up in, you know, more tech savvy people, but you have to have a workforce that's able to hold on to them and preserve them and, and recruit them and retain them. Yeah, you hit on a, re- a lot of really great points there. I've had a lot of conversations on this show with people who are advocates for, you know, how do we, how, how do we reach, you know, young people? How do we reach women? How do we reach African-Americans who are, you know, could be a part of this workforce, but, but aren't? How do we make sure that manufacturing organizations that are actually doing really interesting things from a technology standpoint are getting into schools and showing kids that like, a job in manufacturing doesn't mean working in a dark factory, operating heavy machinery that puts them at risk of their, you know, their own safety. But instead, we have people, you know, programming robots and like doing really interesting. You know, ad- we talked a lot about additive manufacturing today. Like, what a, an amazing technology! And how cool is that to to you know a fifteen year old kid who's thinking about starting to think about what you know what they're going to do after high school, for example. So. I think that there's just, you know, we're in a place right now where there's such an opportunity to like shed positive light on what's ahead in manufacturing and change the perception, not only for the young people that are entering the workforce, but also their parents who have a perception of what manufacturing was 20 years ago. So I don't know, it's just exciting to hear, have these conversations with, with people like you who are, again, see the vision of, of what's ahead here. You know, Joe, I always say that, that the new wrench, you know, the wrench and the grease under your fingernails is like a gaming processing unit, you know, it's like a GPU where, where, you know, that's, that's the new version of the wrench because you're, you know, you're using that so, so extensively and graphics and simulation. And you see this generation coming out, they're using a lot of animation and gaming, right. To do all this. And that same animation can be really applied in the manufacturing world. But in this case, you're, you're, you're simulating environments. And so it's, yeah, they're, they're very sophisticated environments. They're replete with some of the most advanced technology in the world. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about artificial intelligence and how that's going to play a very critical role in decision-making and making better decisions. It won't replace the human, but it's going to certainly augment the capability that, that humans bring. And, and, you know, if used right, it'll, it'll make things better. You know, and I think we see a lot of that in our consumer world. So it's amazing when you go search for something on Amazon or or, or you're in e-commerce, that same thing pops up in seven different variants, you know, that you were searching for. So, so obviously the artificial intelligence learns, it understands what you're doing. And, and then it's, you know, it's algorithms are triggered to project what it thinks you want. 
And, and so some of those same things could be applied to complex decision-making on the manufacturing floor and on the design and simulation environments. Love that perspective. Raj, is there anything I did not ask you about that you'd like to add to this conversation for our manufacturing leader audience? No, Joe, I, I, I think we covered it. I, I, you know, I just think the last thing I'll say is, I mean, listen, we're in a very interesting time right now. There are a lot of federal programs that are, that are really pushing more advanced manufacturing, the CHIPS Act, the you know, Inflation Reduction Act, you know, more, more climatization and sustainability movements. There's going to be a lot of money injected in the economy, but again, with the premise that, uh, that, that local is good, manufacturing stateside is good, and I, I think the companies that can really get educated and have a game plan around digitalization and more advanced automation and, and doing this, the technology is readily available. It's there. It's scalable. And, and I think you're going to find a lot of winners and losers in this. And the winners are going to be the people that just have a good game plan. And that may not be size and scale. A company it just could be the people that have the willpower and the desire and fortitude to, to take it forward. Well said. I agree. Raj, can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about Siemens Digital Industries? Yeah, so I, I think that they can, you know, certainly look at Siemens.com and look at digital industries on our site. And, and you're going to see a whole host of activities there from vertical industries to the new Accelerator Digital Business Platform, which, which is one of the great innovations and announcements and partnerships that we've driven now with NVIDIA and the Omniverse portfolio they have. So that's marrying our capability of driving digital twins with physics simulation. And NVIDIA is just a world leader, as all of you know. And, and they were known for gaming processing units, but they're great in, in simulation with photorealistic simulation and artificial intelligence. And that marriage together has become a very, very powerful platform that we call Accelerator. So it's going to be something that I think will revolutionize a lot of what industry how, how industry thinks when they think about digitalization and manufacturing. And, and it's going to really start to define the industrial metaverse that we, you know, if you haven't heard that term, but that's a term that we're, that, that's being used quite commonly now. Beautiful. Well, Raj, thanks for doing this today. Okay, Joe, thanks a lot. It was fun. Thanks a lot. Take care of yourself. Absolutely. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.